Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, artificial arguments, alcohol texting, and three second theses. But first up, here's the news. The first item in this week's news comes with an adult content warning. Fast forward two minutes if you need to avoid news of an adult nature. Trust me ladies, I'm on the pill. Would any woman trust a man to make sure she doesn't get pregnant? Every few years, a new approach to making men temporarily sterile is attempted, but none of them have yet reached the market, usually due to changes in libido or irreversible infertility. This new research from Monash University in Melbourne works not by attacking sperm or by lowering testosterone, but by attacking the muscle contractions that release sperm during sex. Sperm travels from the epididymis by being squeezed through muscle contractions in the vas deferens to be delivered to the urethra to be ejaculated during sex. The team identified two proteins that trigger the muscle contractions that deliver sperm and genetically engineered mice so that receptors for these proteins didn't work. For these mice, it was as if either the proteins were blocked or missing. The male mice had sex with female mice normally, but there was no sperm in their ejaculate, so the female mice didn't form a vaginal plug and they didn't get pregnant. A vaginal plug is a gel deposited by the male that hardens into a plug to slow the female down in mating with other males. She can eject the plug, but he buys extra time for his sperm to be alone with her egg. So it appears more than just sperm failed to transfer when the vas deferens failed to contract. They took sperm from the male mouse's epididymis and found that it looked normal under the microscope and was able to impregnate female mice. The male mice appeared healthy and normal so it looks like there were no side effects. The two protein receptors that were targeted will next be attacked by drugs in further experiments. The paper was titled Male Contraception via Simultaneous Knockout of Alpha-1A Adrenoreceptors and P2X1 Purinoceptors in Mice and was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. Contact Lens Texting the successor to Google Glass may be curved liquid crystal displays that you can wear as contact lenses, and they're under development by a team at Ghent University's Centre of Microsystems Technology in Belgium. Last time, the team were working on LEDs mounted on contact lenses, but the rise of curved screens has given them an upgrade. The LCD contact lenses promise an augmented reality display overlaying text and images onto your view of the real world. You get a face recognition software reminding you of people's names, identifying wildlife, giving you directions. Of course, without a really good user interface, all of that would be so distracting 
that you'd get run over or walk into things. The curved display could also be used to make contact lenses that automatically darken in bright light, or cosmetically you could change the colour of your eyes. At present, it just shows simple graphics, and the demo displays a dollar sign on your eyeballs. Of course, you can't actually see the dollar signs yourself if you're wearing the contact lenses, because they're just too close to your eyes for you to easily focus. So at present, they're really a way to show images and text on your eyeballs, not to your eyeballs. Good for cosmetic purposes and costuming, or to attract attention, but not any use for augmented reality, or reading text messages, or in fact, being useful. The team say we will see commercial applications in five years. messages. Science is here to help. Researchers from the UK and Canada have succeeded in sending text messages using alcohol as the medium. They encoded messages into the timing of an alcohol spray into the air, detecting it up to four meters away and correctly decoded the message, all without using any radio or wires. Welcome to the world of molecular communication. Molecular communication could be used where wires and radio don't work, like underwater, underground, or within the human body. Pheromones are a classic form of natural molecular communication. Bees warn other bees of predators. Mammals signal to potential mates that they're approachable. Inside cells, there's calcium signaling, which tells your heart to keep beating. Bacteria signal to their relatives how many they are. Moths can track sex pheromones a long way, very accurately. Medical nanorobots in the body will be too small for radio antennae. Dr. Wisi Guao of the University of Warwick in the UK wants to transmit continuous data using chemical communication. He writes that any communication system can be broken down into the transmitter, receiver and the channel. The channel is the environment in which the transmitted signal travels from the transmitter to the receiver. Working in collaboration with the University of Toronto, the researchers used an Arduino Uno from the Arduino Open Source Electronics Platform to convert the message O Canada into binary international telegraph alphabet number two, where every letter is represented by five bits. O Canada is the name of the Canadian national anthem. A single spray of alcohol represented one and no spray represented zero. They used isopropyl alcohol, also known as rubbing alcohol, as the signaling chemical, because it's cheap, evaporates quickly, and it's safe to use. They used three alcohol sensors on another Arduino board as the receiver. They tried two different ways of sending the message through the channel. Diffusion and flow-assisted propagation. In diffusion propagation, 
After the first spray, the alcohol diffuses or spreads out in the air until it reaches the receiver. So no external energy is used to help the signal travel. For flow-assisted propagation, they used a tabletop fan to help push the message in the direction of the receiver. They tested both a multi-speed bladed fan and a Dyson bladeless fan for flow-assisted propagation of the signal. When diffusion propagation was used, the alcohol ejected from the spray reached the sensors almost immediately, if they were only a metre away. Any further than a metre, and the detection of the signal was very slow. Using fans for flow-assisted propagation, they could send signals up to 4 metres. The Dyson bladeless fan was better than the bladed fan for assisted flow propagation, but as it was 10 times more expensive, they went with a bladed fan to demonstrate what can be achieved inexpensively. The fastest they could send a message reliably was 1 bit per 3 seconds over 4 metres, or very reliably, at 1 bit per 3 seconds over 3 metres. The team managed to send a signal very reliably at 1 bit per 5 seconds at distances up to 4 metres. This is the first known platform for sending short text messages using chemical signals, but not the first time alcohol is fueled texting. Their paper, titled Tabletop Molecular Communication, Text Messages Through Chemical Signals, was published in the Public Library of Science, PLOS One Journal. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Bats produce sounds that are not audible to human ears. So these ultrasound bat signals were digitally reduced to frequencies that we can hear. Then the different bat sounds were assigned different keys on a keyboard. On this keyboard, the only real bat organ, Ulrich Seidel, played the Batman theme, which was composed by Neil Hefty in 1966 for the 1960s Batman TV show and the 1966 Batman film. The original idea was Walter Sunchens. The video clip will be embedded on diffusionradio.com. So here's the Batman theme as played by bats. the season for arguments. Artificial arguments. A researcher has written a chatbot to argue against anti-science climate change deniers on the internet. Many years ago, I used to argue with anti-science fundamentalist Christian creationists on the internet. I know, but I was young. Fundamentalist Christian creationists were claiming that science proved their literal interpretation of the King James English interpretation of the Greek interpretation of the Hebrew Old Testament of the Bible. 
In the process, they totally distorted the definition of what science really is. It's not science if you have your conclusion first and then go looking for proof. Science is about finding the truth, not proving what you already want to believe. Their literal interpretation of the Bible is against every single field of science. Against evolution, the centre of biology with special creation. Against genetics with Noah's Ark. Against astronomy, cosmology, relativity and nuclear physics when they deny methods of determining the age of rocks, the earth and the universe. Against psychiatry and psychology when they deny mental illness and put forward real demons instead. Against geology when they claim evidence for global floods. Against medicine when they claim the power of faith healing. And on it goes. I saw it as an educational exercise. The creationists used invalid arguments, incorrect facts, and lots of hidden assumptions. My rules were that I had to check my facts, and make explicit any assumptions, and make clear arguments. I had to know why I believed what I believed, and be able to point to reputable references for the scientific facts. I learned a lot about geology, biology, physics, archaeology, philosophy, and even Christian theology. However, the exact same arguments and incorrect information came up over and over again, to the point that the Usenet talk.origins frequently asked questions file eventually replaced my research when I got tired. The FAQ was so good and so well referenced that it always had their question and the correctly argued and referenced counter-argument. The reason it could be so good is that the creationists were simply taking their arguments from the same books from the same organisation. Answers in Genesis. None of them were actually thinking through the issues, looking up facts, or making original arguments. None of them were actually thinking through the issues, looking up facts and making original arguments. They just used their favourite authority to provide an argument from the books that they thought would save more souls by making more converts to their religion while confusing people who thought they were reading a conversation about science. I used to think about writing software that would automatically match their questions with the FAQ and spit out an automated answer. But at the time, it was too hard. Flash forward to the present day of messages 140 characters long and better artificial intelligence programming, and it's possible to automate an argument. The climate change deniers are the new creationists, fundamentalist to the doctrine of business as usual using debunked arguments and incorrect facts to push the idea that their views have a basis in science, and totally distorting the nature of science in the process. Christopher Mims reports in Technology Review that Australian Nigel Leck has written a chatbot program that argues with climate change deniers on Twitter using the account AI underscore AGW. Every five minutes, it searches Twitter for several hundred phrases that correspond to any of the old debunked arguments about how global warming isn't happening or humans aren't responsible for global warming. The responses are matched to the particular argument. Tweets about how Neptune is warming just like the Earth, for example, are met with the appropriate links to scientific sources explaining why that doesn't constitute evidence for the source of global warming on Earth as a warming sun. For those interested, in 2007 a study was published comparing Neptune's observed brightening with warming on Earth. It concluded that despite a complete lack of statistical correlation, maybe Neptune was getting brighter from the Sun getting warmer, and therefore maybe the Earth's warming was also caused by the Sun getting warmer. Observations of changes in luminosity on the surface of both Neptune and its largest moon 
do show that it's getting brighter. Is it caused by the sun getting hotter? No. The brightening is due to the planet's seasons changing, but very slowly. Summer is coming to Neptune's southern hemisphere, bringing more sunlight, as it does every 164 years. Observations of the sun actually show that it's gotten cooler over the last 10 years. Another current one doing the rounds online is how come the Antarctic sea ice has grown enough for the Russian ship Academic Sharkowski to get stuck this week if there's global warming. Al Gore is famous for showing images related to land ice shrinking in the Arctic and polar bears suffering. Many people miss that the Arctic is at the opposite end of the world to the Antarctic. There is less sea ice for the polar bears in the Arctic. Al Gore wasn't wrong on that. Polar bears live in the Arctic, penguins in the Antarctic. It's the wrong side of the world. The other point is that sea ice is very different to land ice. And while land ice has been shrinking in the Antarctic, sea ice has been growing. But only for the last three months. It's a very long bow to draw to say that three months worth of extra sea ice in Antarctica refutes all of the global warming science. Is it the fallacy of cherry picking or the fallacy of jumping to conclusions? Write to science at diffusionradio.com and tell me which logical fallacy you think it is. Like other chatbots, lots of people on the receiving end of its tweets have no idea they're not speaking with a real human being. Some of them have arguments with the chatbot spanning dozens of tweets and many days. The chatbot has a complete inability to detect sarcasm and joking, as you might expect. So when a record heatwave hit Los Angeles last summer, causing way too many tweets of the form, it's 113 degrees outside, good thing global warming's a myth, the bot tried to argue. Lek makes the point of apologising when this happens and adding the people to a whitelist so they don't get bothered again. The bot is programmed with a learning algorithm that can be trained not to respond to phrases that cause false positives. AI underscore AGW lists its name as Turing Test, after Alan Turing's famous test where you're challenged to guess whether you're talking over a terminal screen to a bot or a human. If you mistake the bot for a human, then the software passes the test and is acting as if it's intelligent. Of course, if the people tweeting nonsense about climate were acting intelligently, this bot would never have been released. Search for AI underscore AGW on Twitter. And finally, was the three-minute thesis too long for you? Now you can read the Tumblr, lolmythesis.com or lolmythesis on Twitter, where research students can relieve the stress of work by summarising their many years of research in just one sentence. A three-second thesis, if you like. The site was put together by Angie F., a senior at Harvard College concentrating in human developmental and regenerative biology. Angie has recently added the ability for people to link their completed thesis to their sentence so that people can click through to read the actual paper when it's finished. I hope that students take up the option. Here's a selection of three second theses that I liked. I melted the earth and all I got was this lousy solidified magma ocean and a dense layer of gunk at the bottom. Ancient Mesopotamian poetry, how to avert apocalypses by having oodles of sex.
If you want to get drugs directly into your brain, then drill a hole in your head. These Egyptians living in Israel used poop as fuel, probably donkey poop. You can work out how many groups of neurons it takes to do something by asking them if 1 plus 1 equals 2 or not. This machine will now tell you before it catastrophically fails, but there's still nothing you can do to prevent it. I don't know what genes are responsible for guiding zebrafish embryos to grow into mature fish, but I killed thousands of them to find out. If you're going to exploit another country, it's helpful to have a map. Advice columns are where the real philosophy is getting done. Thousands of scientists in Switzerland looked for a particle we were pretty sure wouldn't be there. It wasn't. Self-assembling nanoparticles are kind of like Legos. I am the Lorax, I speak for the trees. They're not doing too well, especially when neoliberal development initiatives force those in the subsistence economy to migrate to degraded land. You believe some things that would be surprising if you didn't believe them already. Here are some examples with superheroes. I can guess your age from Facebook, even if you hide it. When you remove trees from cities, the cities get hotter. That's a bad thing. Girls are like passive-aggressive when they text, lol. People are willing to pay me to vibrate little flaps of tissue in my throat because it sounds nice. Check out the rest at lolmythesis.com. And now, Lou Steer. Physics is not the only science. So I'm bringing you an epic saga of paleontology and evolution. If you saw First Footsteps the other night on the ABC, you'll have some idea of what I'm going to be talking about. If you didn't, you should have. These trees were old, even then in the swamps, watching mud ooze between their long bent roots, gnarled as dowagers, strangler vines bulging and knotted, straining for life, twining the supporting branches in a passionate embrace, their leaves like soft tongues last tasting the honey drops of sunshine. The sun was hotter then, beating down, raising young trees from the beds of skinny reeds. Trees jostled for heat and air, stretching ever higher to find the clean air, and the weaker saplings withered, gently sliding back into the thick black sludge of rotting corpses. Giant zooming insects nest in their secret places, their whirring buzz the only sound breaking the silence of the forest. In the distance, something moves, tearing through the undergrowth, sloshing through the black waters of the lagoon. Vines creak, trunks crash to the forest floor. The monster approaches. So tall, its head blots out the sun. So massive, its footsteps leave craters in its wake. Its heavy head sways slowly from side to side as it peers through the foliage, searching for any movement. A huge goanna, slower than the rest, takes a moment too long to slide away. The monster bends its head, seizes the goanna with its beak, beats it against a tree trunk, nudges the still struggling goanna onto its back. The monster snaps its victim's neck with one sure snap. Helpless now, the goanna has no voice and cannot scream as the monster tears its underbelly open, revealing hot, steaming entrails and, with the tip of its beak, plucks them out as delicately as a gourmet removing an oyster from a shell with a fine silver pick. 
It finishes and raises its head upward so the last delicate trails of warm flesh slide down its throat. It screams in satisfaction. The goanna's corpse slides back into the lagoon where the creeping things will do their work. The monster takes a step forward, but as it does so, the earth shakes, not from those mighty footsteps, but from the pressures of its own internal violence. Small, frightened birds take to the air from the canopy. Smaller, scaled and furred creatures desperately search for shelter. The monster cannot hide. It has no refuge. It stands resolute as the earth buckles and liquefies around it, trapping it. It tries to move, but is held fast. As the quake continues, it shakes, it shrieks now in fear. It flaps its wings in vain. It's an aerodynamic mess. It flails, it fails, it falls. Five million years later, a crew of dominant bipedal mammals arrives in a dry and arid land. They blast the rock in twisted caves to expose the bones of beasts that mythology never knew and no human ever saw. They find a massive thigh bone Fragments of a thick skull bearing a beak so mighty it can shear straight through bone. Behold, one mammal exclaims, it's the demon duck of doom. Thank you, Lou. Lou Steer. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement and helpful suggestions to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like our Facebook page and leave a comment. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the Community Radio Network and 2 Triple H in Hornsby, Coringai. Diffusion is syndicated on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. I conducted, recorded and broadcast 58 interviews in 2013. Diffusion needs funding outside of the Bank of Ian. Please contact me at science at diffusionradio.com if you'd like to sponsor the show, to suggest a business model, help with applying for grants, or look for the donate button on diffusionradio.com to contribute to the costs of producing the podcast. A big thank you to Michael for his donation this week, which will help pay for web hosting. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice in 2014 for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.